I haven't thought of this in quite a while But I'm reminded when I see your smile Oh, there we were And what a pair we were Without a care we were You and I Do you remember what I said that day In my inimitable quiet way That we were young With songs unsung With time for dreams to take us everywhere Loving every moment of the summer and the snow. Welcome to Sundays on the East End. This is Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And today we have our guest, Melissa Erica, who's going to be joining us in a few minutes. I'm super excited. Melissa, I consider her to be a friend. And uh, I, w- I looked on her website, I, even though I know a lot of her credits, um, but I found this quote that says, Melissa Errico is beautiful, fiercely intelligent, wonderfully wacky, and deliciously mischievous. It goes on and on. But I was like, that sounds like someone I know. <laughs> so I scroll down to the bottom where it was the voice of an angel, and it's, it's Tony Walton. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, of course. And, and, you know, the best quotes do come from like one of our parents, right? <laughs> they always do. Yeah, so Tony Walton, of course, is my stepdad, for those who don't know that. And, uh, and I do know that Melissa has been in several of his works, especially with the Irish rap. And, uh, but Melissa is just such an incredible uh, force to be reckoned with. I, I mean, she uh, does, of course, she's a Shantuzi. That's true. She's also a writer. She's, uh, she's a producer. She's, she's, you know, fiercely intellectual. She has a column, I think, in the Purist right now. Can you be playfully intellectual? Do you have to be fiercely intellectual? No, yes. Can I interact? Inter- Hello. Sure, why not? Come on. Come on. And can I, ladies can and gentlemen, I interject. Pandemic, there's yeah. dogs sleeping with cats. There's like, no, playfully there's a intellectual. Maniac in the White House. Yes, <laughs> playfully intellectual is is is. You know, it was. It, I was so magnetized to it. I had to. In, I had to just. I had to burst into my own interview. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa bursting through the door. It's like popping You're out of a cave. You always step on other people's lines. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Anyway, well, no, welcome. Actually, and I'll tell you, that's one of my problems. I'm too equivocal. I'm too respectful of this and that. I think my whole career, I would have been better if I'd been more of a bull, you know, <laughs> I've been far forceful. too nice, like your stepfather. Yeah. I, I have, a, I put a high premium on, you know, <laughs> kindness and, 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 and chivalry and, and oh. the nice interchange, like a cup of tea, darling. Yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. love it. <laughs> but, but you know, the, the, but I was just going to say that, you know, uh, so no, we I don't, don't steal have, enough we've, scenes. We've, we've been doing this show for, for 
two years. Yeah, uh, last week was two years. Okay. And uh, and I don't know. I mean, have we had any people like Broadway people on? I really don't think we. Have. Oh my goodness! Well, my fair lady has come. Come on. I uh, no, I know. Well, uh, yeah, we Darling. had we had Julie, we had Julie and Emma on. That's well, true. Actually, you know, you know Julia I, used to write, she wrote me, you know, in one of my backstage books, she used to write with, uh, you were marvelous or something, you know, she'd come and see something, Tony would bring her or someone. And uh, we're uh, talking about Julie Andrews. Julie people. Andrews. And she would leave a little note and I, I saved one. It says with love from the other Eliza. Oh, how lovely. Ooh, ooh, I just got chills. <laughs> goosey. Isn't that sweet? I mean, as if, you know, I'll take it, you know. But, you, you know, I, I was brought up uh, backstage and, and sitting, uh, doing my homework while during rehearsals, Broadway rehearsals for shows like Pippin and Chicago and so many others and just being so lucky to be on the front lines of watching people like Bob Fosse and Mike Nichols direct. And just, you know, so Broadway is just, you know, they say, how do you get an elef elephant out of a theater? You can't if it's in his blood. So it's kind of been my blood. I'm that I was, I was a second act kid where my mom uh, would take my sister and myself and sneak us in to see the second act of shows. Was saving, so, because she was saving money or because she only likes the ending? Uh, no, I think at that moment, saving money before she started her second career uh, and then uh, was, was uh, asked to see the shows by all the people that she worked with. But, but uh, it was like, come on. Well, so I saw the second act of a lot of musicals. Very cool. It's, it, there's something mischievous about doing that, isn't it? So far, you can't get over the fact that you snuck in. I, and, I, and I was convinced everybody was like the theater detective. Yeah. <laughs> so, just, so that's why you were living in fear. Like a spy novel experience and Pippin at the same time. <laughs> so anyway, welcome, Melissa. And, oh, you are, you, and you've been recording. You have this amazing event coming up. But, uh, you know, talk a little bit about um, Broadway and just everything that's going on, it's, it's kind of so heartbreaking. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, we are in a, a, f a fundamentally insane time. And I think that if any of us think that we're having a bad day or that we are, um, you know, getting fat or we're not happy or we're not getting anything done, I mean, we are all, we, it, it is a fantastic problem for all of us and nobody is exempt and nobody um, can be anything short of uh, just, we have to be compassionate with each other. This is a crazy and strange time because no one has ever uh, had their life canceled, <laughs> just canceled. And everyone around them is, it seems to have their life canceled. Obviously there are people, um, I did run into a lawyer who said, I've never been busier. And I was like, Oh, shut up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, 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 we're talking about shut living up. things though. We're not talking about like <laughs> reptiles, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, actually, who knows? The reptiles may not be having a good time either, I think right? He was referring to the lawyer. So, yeah. Oh, the lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He, he's a comedy writer. I'll just sing the song when it comes right. up. Yeah, no, all the lawyers, <laughs> I promise you, is thinking, look at all the billable hours I have right now. Yeah, yeah. So that makes me mad. But, um, but you know, for the most part, it's, uh, it's a, just an awful time. So here we are. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't know how long it will be. We don't know what's going on. I'm speaking merely. Uh, I have two worlds that I, I can give you. Uh, I can be a radar for you for your show. I, I mean, I'm a mom of small right. children in a public school, and uh, they're preteens. So every child, uh, every every um, category of children is having a, a problem right now. A different and a different one for each. You mean Whether emotional? Learning, learning development, uh, learning to read. I've heard. I was overhearing my my sister-in-law and the uh, younger. Uh, set, you know, she's little kids, they're three-ish and stuff. 
She just said they're just not going to learn how to read this year. They're not going to learn. All right, that, all right, but, but I would say politely you know, that a third grade was actually, uh, I'm 57, well, third grade was, was the year that they expected you to read back in the day. I think that there's been this kind of um, flattening of, hmm. of a lot of those curves and, and the, the, the the, well, well, this idea that somehow if you're not reading by the time you're five or six, then maybe you should see a specialist when in fact, traditionally it was, it was closer to seven or eight. So, so uh, good. All right. So maybe some of this is natural. Maybe we're equal. There's being an equilibrium in terms of how much we push kids and, um, Melissa, I mean, you, you, you know, do have the little, you have the young kids, you, but I recording. have little kids that are, uh, that are like preteens. Right, right, right. So I'm dealing with the teenagers, which is the beginning of independence and socialization, going to Starbucks, learning to spend a little money, save a little money, you know, get out in the world. And now they can't get out in the world. They can't go to people's homes. They can't make the same kind of plans that a little girl would want to make um, because right. they have to take into consent, uh, to, to, uh, you know, into consideration all the medical uh, side of that, where they're touching, who they're with, who's been where. Uh, going indoors, ventilation, you know, they're taking into account all this stuff and they're not able to socialize as much and their school shut down. So they learned a lot. My husband had the coronavirus um, in the very first week of the pandemic. And your and husband is Patrick, Patrick McEnroe. McEnroe. That's Trinity right. And we are grad. EastEnders. Trinity grad. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I know we're doing this, maybe this shouldn't be on air, but uh, Mark was a year ahead of, of us. And I played on the basketball Patrick's team. Patrick's middle Mark. brother. Yeah, yeah, and I played on the basketball team with Mark. And, and I haven't talked to him or seen him since high school, but we're very friendly with him in high school. I hope he's oh. doing well. Oh, he's doing fabulous. The, the <laughs> three, you know, what people forget is the McEnroe brothers, the famous tennis brothers. Um, you know, they have an amazing middle brother, Mark. Yeah. They may or may not know that. Or if you, if you uh, have met Mark, he's, he's a real winner. And he, um, he differentiated from the boys right away because Mrs. McEnroe out there on Long Island, she gave the boys... Um, uh, a choice when they were little, they could uh, go sailing or play tennis. That was free with the Douglaston Club. And that was it. And that was when parenting was whatever mom and dad are going to sit at the pool or they are going to have lunch and you're going to do what the children are offered. And that's right, it. Right. You're not going to do tap or ballet or <laughs> ukulele. No. Or, or kumon. <laughs> or kumon. Exactly. Oh, you have a thing about testing and kids. Yeah. That's good. I like it. Um, so, you know, they were given sailing or tennis. Patrick was so. Um, uh, independent about tennis. He, he, he um, was the youngest brother. And from the age of five, he started to play tennis against a cement wall in Queens. Wow. And he played, he said, hours and hours and hours a day. So he went to the club on his tricycle alone on the street. And he used to take his racket to the club. He would just like ride on a tricycle, like in the streets <laughs> yeah, of Queens, right? In the yeah, 70s. We all used to do that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, so you can imagine. So Patrick did the, um, you know, the tennis and also hit against the local wall for endless hours. That was his childhood. He said the wall gave him an amazing education uh, <laughs> in lots of ways. So this, again, very interesting, cut back on our expenses. But Mark <laughs> chose sailing. Okay. John chose, so anyway, so that's my way of giving you an idea how the yeah, McEnroe no, brothers, and, and, yeah. Again, I'm just saying, like, you know, unfolded. You please. Uh, he he would know me as Sock, not as Alec or, or whatever. I call him Sock. He remembers that. So cool. But please, please just say hi and, and send him regards. Oh, I, I mean, now that I've, I'm doing your interview and you know, I'll send it to them. And um, Diane, his wife, is um, one of the warmest influences in my life. I've had a couple of tough uh, setbacks in, in my life. And I would say, you know, they all had to do with parenting really, really small kids. And twice Diane came and lived with me. 
That's just, amazing. I just was overwhelmed. Patrick was traveling around the world. I had three little kids. I just, there was, there was twice where I can remember I couldn't get them to sleep properly. And I was, I was starting to go crazy. Like just, and you were performing as well, right? Always performing and always pushing myself while prioritizing the kids. Um, but well, never let, dropping the ball on uh, the showgirl side of myself. So, well, let's Diane let's get back amazing. to uh, let, let's get back to Patrick, um, your husband Patrick mm-hmm. McEnroe having Corona mm. virus. You know, early, early in the pandemic. I mean, what yeah. was that like? You know, well, you you kindly rec- uh, you know um, mentioned that I have been writing lately, and uh, in the last two years, I published um, five or six pieces in the New York Times, big essays about uh, creative life and so on. And consistently before that and since, I do write a column uh, in the Purist magazine, which is uh, Christina Cuomo's uh, magazine that's also kind of Hamptonsy. Yeah, we love we love Christina out here. I love Christina Cuomo, and she's I wonderful. owe her. She feels that she's one of she's been pushing my writing since way before the New York Times called, but she feels that they called because of me, uh, her. You know, you know, because of what I wrote for her, and she's quite right. I mean, she's the first person to publish anything, and I did the longest story I've ever published this summer, which was about Patrick's experience in the, with the coronavirus. So if anyone's so in other interested words, in So in other words, we, it, we can read it, right? You can read it. It's called Becoming Little Women and um, Becoming Little Women. And that was uh, published in The Purist, uh, the last issue uh, in the midsummer. So what it was about Becoming Little Women was we had just seen the movie of Little Women as a family. And my girls are all, they're both, we have 11, 11, uh, and 13. And they have now turned, well, they'll be about to, they're about to be 12, the twins. And Victoria has turned, during the pandemic, has turned 14. So we are little women. Which version did you watch? The new one? We saw the new one, Greta Gerwig's movie. Have you Um, ever seen the one with Elizabeth Taylor and... uh, You know, we went back to see, we're on a thing to see, um, to to go retro. So we have just seen the, um, you know, in the last month, we saw the Catherine Hepburn. Um, Yeah, the other one. see Elizabeth. Yeah, well, only because my grandfather directed it, but oh, <laughs> so I, no that's way. the one I've seen, yeah. Okay, so that's Elizabeth Taylor in Little Women. Elizabeth Taylor, I'm trying to think who else is in it. Peter Lawford, um, I just, I can't, I'm, my mind is... Wonderful. Wrong. Oh, I'll check like it out. Said, I'll, I mean, who, what else do you need to know? Liz Taylor, I'll find right, it. Let's go back to, so becoming, so you're using this so, action verb, becoming, you're be, uh, so how did your... Well, what happened was my, my children felt, yeah, when Patrick got sick, we put, we had, we immediately knew he, he had something wrong. And as I, as I tell in this you know, long-winded, uh, well, long essay, is I describe the, the, the shock of knowing something's up in the world, school's closing. I'll tell you about the work I had that week that got canceled, which was devastating, and some of which I'm trying to kind of restore now. I have a few things I'm going to tell you that I'm up to. Um, but everything's stopping, and then Patrick says, I'm sick. I, have a fe- I know I have a fever. Something's wrong. So we put him in the basement because we didn't know where to put him. We live in a small suburban house and we put him in the basement and there was no door um, to separate that area of the basement. So my parents, my father who served in Vietnam and um, is also a doctor, he said to get a plastic uh, sheet or a shower curtain and nail it around and make a, a seal him in. So I sealed my husband in. Well, you know, I, had- I hear he does really well with walls. <laughs> Not <laughs> yes, plastic. Exactly. Where's the wall when you need it? So, but... So we, we nailed my, literally, I, I sounds, this is going to, it sounds perverse, but we were, my parents said, it's going to be a moisture is, issue. You want the coughing and you want him in behind this thing. So this is 
really shocking to go from this beautiful life we had to like nailing my husband into the space and he was fine. He wasn't, you know, I gave him, I made it so nice. And I describe how quickly I moved to make it nice. And I enlisted my uh, oldest daughter, but it was a serious moment where she had to grow up quickly and she was amazing. But I described that. And within a few weeks, you know, he, we couldn't get the test. It was hard to get tests then. It was hard to get answers. It was hard to understand what the coronavirus was. So the, the period of quarantine lasted a month, but very much within the first five or six days with him being away, Diana, my 11 year old said, mom, this is just like little women, only dad's in the basement (laughs) because we were self-educating reading to each other, cooking and cleaning, everyone was gone. And we had so much work to do to get them educated, to take care of him, to be alone and the mother and the daughters. And they immediately made the connection to the values of hard work and family. We were still having fun. We were being, we came up with a cooking show. I did a, I consistently did a cooking show from the kitchen because I had just been on the road for about two years doing Sondheim and then Michelle Legrand. I was in France and London right, right. and Palm Springs. I was all I interviewed over you about I don't that. know how to cook, you right. know? So suddenly a showgirl is stuck in the kitchen, you know? So there was not only Little Women, but there was this kind of a it sounds private like you could, you could you could write a TV show about this. It sounds yeah, like yeah, it was like a private Benjamin, but you know the chef. You know, I was like <laughs> stuck in the cooking core. You know, and uh, like just like in my sequence, like, well, what do you mean a chicken? <laughs> <laughs> make Listen, a what? I have to make dinner again. That was yesterday. <laughs> Melissa, we're we're gonna take a short break. We're talking with Broadway star, writer, and just all around fabulous person, Melissa Erico. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sock. Here on 88.3 WLIW-FM, Long Island's only NPR station. You can stream us online at WLIW.org slash radio. We'll be right back. I'm Meg Noonan inviting you to join me on 88.3 WLIW-FM for Freeform Radio at its new time every Sunday night from 9 to 11. You'll hear a lively mix of rock in all its glorious subgenres, plus a heavy dose of soul, R&B, and more. So tune in to Freeform Radio, where variety reigns supreme, Sundays at 9 p.m. on 88.3 WLIW-FM and WLIW.org slash radio, Long Island's only NPR station. How do you say to your child in the night, nothing's all black, but then nothing's all white? How do you say it will all be all right when you know that it mightn't be true? What do you do? Careful the things you say. Children will listen Careful the things you do Children will see We're back Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy And Alex And our guest today, Melissa Errico uh, Talking about coronavirus, Broadway, uh, cooking chicken and sequins You were in the sequins, <laughs> not the chicken, right? Yes, if anyone's interested, if you go on Instagram My, my children do not like my, my handle But it is Melissa underscore Erico E-R-R-I-C-O Erico underscore fairy mom Okay, now I did that 
I did that years ago. I said, fairy mom. I said, because I'm kind of a mom. I'm an actress, but I'm a fairy. Like, I just wanted it to be a little, little bit, I wanted it to sparkle. Like you're, you know, like. And that's where, that's like getting back do. to the, getting back to the playful in- intellect. Right. And, yeah. And not a pixie yes. mom, not a pixie, a fairy mom. Right. Yes. Big fairy difference. mom. But if you're hip to TikTok, there's a whole thing about fairies. Fairies are now, are now a sign of like, if you, if you put a fairy, it means what you just said you don't mean. Like oh, really? A, I had no idea. There's a whole you're, dark side to see, fairies. My, kid, my kids are like, people. my kids are a generation older than yours, so they're not teaching me this yeah. stuff anymore. Yeah, I, so apparently. I think, I think on Grindr, fairies mean something else also. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It all depends who you hang out with. But for me, fairy mom could even have, you know, in other, other connotations. perfectly fine co- connotations. But um, I meant it in full Titania mode. Mode. Okay, good. We got. I, I, I'm enlisting Titania in my brand. Okay. <laughs> so, going from the, you know those early very frightening days for you of uh, yeah. you know of yeah not good getting off tour yeah. and just your life just standing still. What standing have, still? Yeah. What have you done, kind of, to keep um, not only just to keep a toe in? I mean, you're obviously you're a big Broadway you know star. I'm using the word star, uh, but to really keep oh. your creative and you know your creative juices flowing. Well, right away, I just was worried about other people. I knew my family was in trouble and I didn't want to hide it. Patrick was open about his virus. And I just thought, wow, the world is in crisis. My response to that was not to like win something from this or get a TV series. I'd love to, but you know, that's really not me. I was, okay. I just got on the computer and was like, y'all okay out there? Like that's my intuition. And so my community was a few people were asking, yeah, you know, uh, could you be on this show? And could you, could you maybe sing? Cause immediately to raise money for the actors fund, like that became right. the first thing. People are out of work. People are scared. There are people out there who see already they can't pay their rent. So I just got out there in my community and immediately just responded to um, a desire for, uh, for fundraising, every every kind of uh, public service announcement for my local hospital for uh, masks and things like that. If you donate your masks, etc. I did that, and I did some of it with some charm to it. My kids or a, um, a song. I did things for the Irish rep. So my first instinct was just to sort of connect, and I stayed. I think you know on that um, on that that jag. The next thing people wanted was content. They just wanted something to show. Like Guildhall presents Melissa Erico singing Zondheim. We had this crappy video of me that was never meant for anyone to see. Well, 10,000 <laughs> people watched it that week. That's 5,000 people watched it immediately and with a live chat. People wanted to, to do something. It was a weird feeling of what we're all used to doing, which is, is live theater or so I, do, I gave archival video out within the first, you know, I'd say three weeks. And then I did Sondheim's birthday. Which right. Was, yeah. I, I, I actually saw the Guild Hall thing since mm-hmm. we're out here and I want to support the yeah. you know, local institutions. Yeah. But uh, I heard that. That was I mean, huge. Ob- and obviously, if, in case people don't know, you are sort of the maven on Sondheim, uh, you know, on, on Stephen Sondheim. Sondheim's so been, yeah, something I've worked a lot on his music. I've been in three musicals in which he was involved. And, and you uh, have Sondheim Sublime, which was the I show had a, that I you brought to Guildhall last year. And you did the yeah. album, of course. Yeah. I made an album of Sond- called Sondheim Sublime, which is uh, consistent with, with other things I've done where I, you know, I usually have some kind of a, a spirit or an idea I want to bring to a recording project. And I had been working uh, on musicals uh, 
Sondheim musicals, but I always felt in concert, and then I sort of felt with other with jazz musicians that there's a side of Sondheim. And it wasn't that it's, I know Sondheim is edgy and he's got that nasty side and the sort of, broad, you know, Broadway and the Manhattan. Yeah, but that's, those know, aren't, that, snarky. the songs that you had in your show for the most part, and I, I consider myself fairly like well-read when it comes to Broadway and I put that in quotes, they, a lot of them were not familiar. They're kind of the deep cuts. Some of them are. Yeah. I mean, Sending the Clowns is there and you do have well, Losing no, My Mind and Loving You. But you're right. I did, I think, I, I'm glad you, you feel that way that I went to, uh, some of his more spiritual or trancey songs, Children in Art, Children Will Listen is, is in there, um, but Goodbye for Now. Um, these are songs that are very sensual, very uh, maternal, but also that ask sort of epic questions in really tender ways. So I was, re I was really happy to make uh, that album. And so I was on to the next album when the pandemic started. I was on to releasing a new album of French music. Uh, Michel Legrand had recently, has recently died. Um, and so I was on to the next thing, but as the pandemic started, there was some interest in my Sondheim work because it was more um, it, it archived. It was stored up. I had the album, I had many concerts. I could just give people free video to show to support their organization. And then when Sondheim's 90th birthday came up, I was you know, part of the, the cast. And we were asked to do pandemic videos, you know, before people knew anything. So I, you know, how to do it. So I sat on my bed in yoga pants, in fact, the bed right next to me here in yoga pants. And I sang children in art with the husband in the basement and the kids needing dinner. And uh, wow. I sang into the camera. And when I finished, I said, um, I, I think I finished saying, uh, I have to go make dinner. Like that was the way I finished the song. It wasn't, I wasn't thinking this will be my eternal music video, you know, at the, but it, it, be, it became a viral sensation. Uh, my, my uh, song, because I didn't, this is before we were alert to our, the power of the bookcase behind us. Right. My bookcase behind me had a book said erot uh, Irish erotic art. And it went viral that night because everyone was like, there's an erotic art book right oh, behind her, fa her face. Wait, not just erotic I art, didn't... Irish erotic art. And I'm sure we can come up with lots of jokes about potatoes and other, and leprechauns. Well, and, and the very rare, like, two-leaf clover. That... <laughs> well, honey, you guys are, you're right to say it because even though it went viral that it was like this sex book that people saw behind me and they were like, Melissa Arago, whoa, she is heavy. Right. Fairy like mom and her eroticism. <laughs> Is it like Jewish sports heroes? Is it a thin book? No, or it a it's a blank book. Oh, it's okay. a all together. So, you know, so it's a prank. I could show it to you, but this is, we're on the radio. It's an empty book. It's all white pages, but there was something about Melissa, the Irish erotic art. It just, it took off. I was like for, you know, Lynn Manuel was tweeting. Everyone was tweeting a close up. They were zooming past me on their screen. So, it went totally viral that night. And I was like, I'm famous, finally famous. <laughs> I love, you know, Melissa, I love your goofy side. I really do. I <laughs> see it is really goofy. need to laugh right now. But you know, um, your, your, your stepfather, uh, uh, just one other little theater anecdote, you know, you, 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 you think, oh, maybe the, my big break will be the, you know, the saucy uh, sex books, which I have plenty of actually, they were on the other book, they were on the other side of the room. But anyway, um, the, they saw the prank, but it still kind of got all this attention. And I thought, Oh, wow, look at this. I have more followers. I got like 4000 new followers. Or something. But um, uh, uh, Lauren Bacall came to Lauren Bacall came to a dressing room once after one of the plays I did uh, that Tony Walton directed. 
And she said, oh, honey, you're going to be a star. What you need is a scandal. Oh, how I love Betty. <laughs> Miss Betty McCall. What you need is a scandal. She was like, you are something, you know. Yeah. Another so I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I've been eluding uh, the scandal, you know, because of my sense of, you know, good, Pro- innate goodness. Propriety. But you're such a decent human being that your scandal is filled with blank pages. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm actually pretty decent, but the truth is, no, no, add to it. The real dirty bucks were out of sight. Oh, yeah, there you okay? go. There's it's right. not that I was so right. pious. I didn't have dirty books. No, See, that's where the story doesn't end with Melissa there. It's men's that no, I tricked you. you know, they were on the other side of the room. Well, I want to I uh, back up because you mentioned Michelle Legrand. Can you, can you yes. kind of fill us in on that but for anyone who doesn't know? Uh, okay, so Michelle Legrand is one of my passions, uh, and I'm so glad to, to talk about it. Michelle Legrand is a film composer. He's uh, scored about 300 movies, and he died in January of 2019. And he... Um, and I, I understand you were the only American performer who was invited to his memorial. Yes, that may be because when he passed, I wrote his obituary in the New York Times. And then uh, it was very uh, beloved by the Europeans and his biographers and his Hollywood connections and the Bergmans, Alan and Marilyn Bergman, who wrote many of his American uh, hits. The first thing people will know is Yentl. He wrote the movie Yentl. If you know that song, Papa, Can You Hear Me? You know, that song, that's him. He also wrote what are you doing the rest of your life? North and south and east and west of your life. I have only one request of your life. That you spend it all with me. Everyone loves that song, right? The summer, <laughs> the summer knows, etc. He wrote some of the sexiest film songs, uh, and Miles Davis worked with him, Sarah Vaughan, uh, Tony Bennett, Sinatra. So this is who he is, and he's never done a Broadway musical, though he's an epic Hollywood um, and many Oscar-winning person. And he did one Broadway show, and I was the star of it. So I got to meet this master, and I, I am very quick to uh, recognize um, a, a genius and acknowledge one, and I treated him like a genius. And it was uh, easy because my family history is such that my father's a concert pianist, and he raised me um, to appreciate Michelle's music. He loved his music. So I knew his music backwards when I met him and got the lead part. So we had a wonderful uh, life you know, experience knowing each other for 15 years. And I've made albums with him. I've scored, I've done a, a movie score. I've traveled and performed with Michelle. And when he died, I, had, I was in this position of being a sort of uh, a fledgling writer. And I wrote a loving obituary. I got to the New York Times. I was like, I want to write it. And they were like, what? Uh, we have some music writers uh, who might want to do that. And I was like, no, 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 I really want to do it. So they gave me the job of writing what's called the appraisal, which is two days later. And it was quite long. And I wrote a, I wrote a loving appraisal of Michelle Legrand, if anyone's interested in reading that. So I love Michelle. And I, um, I put out a deluxe edition of the album I made with him. And it just came out at the start of the pandemic. I had one concert on March 9th. And then 32 concerts were canceled. Oh, my God. So I was pretty dis- disappointed. You, you and everybody. I mean, every every performer. Yeah. yeah. So I was very disappointed. And one of one event I was going to do was at the Lincoln Center Library for the Performing Arts. And I'm sort of revisiting that material um, on October 14th. 
And that was just something I'd love to, you know, hope people uh, who are listening here will will tune in. It's on October 14th and you get tickets. They're either $0 to $15. Where, where can people buy the tickets and where can they experience it? Um, it's an online, it's a virtual event, though I'm going to be uh, doing it live and I'm going to be live streaming from the stage on 60th and, and Madison. They're opening the building with this concert. So I'm very honored and I have a world-class pianist and we'll be socially distanced, but we're going to be on a stage live and you can get tickets at fiaf.org, F-I-A-F. Well, I want to come back and talk about Adam Gopnik as well. Yeah, who's uh, who's involved with it and wrote it. Yes. So we're going to take a quick break. We're talking with Melissa Errico, and you're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex On WLIWFM, and we're going to be right back after this. If history has told us anything, the election will be decided by just a few states. We'll look at what's happening on the ground in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and beyond. That's next time on the New Yorker Radio Hour. Sunday night at 11. Nothing's gonna harm you, not while I'm around. Nothing's gonna harm you, no sir, not while I'm around. Demons are prowling everywhere nowadays. I'll send them howling, I don't care. I've got ways. And we're back, Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. Still Alex Sokolow. <laughs> and our guest, <laughs> Melissa Errico. And we were just talking with you, Melissa, about this um, event coming up in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me, tell me about uh, its kind of inception and, and, and how wonderful it is that you're reopening a theater. That just is so powerful and exciting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really exciting to get to reopen a theater. I'm doing it with another Francophile um, uh, who wrote a, a best-selling novel called Paris to the Moon. His name is Adam Gopnik, and he's a writer for the New Yorker magazine. And uh, we are sort of a perfect uh, marriage of Francophiles to be reopening the FIAF Theater. FIAF stands for um, uh, the French Institute Alliance Française. It's a beautiful a building that's a, the French Institute in New York. They do lots of cultural things, including the New Yorker Festival, and they have the most ravishing um, theater. Uh, um, 60th in Madison? Exactly. Like near Hunter beautiful. College. The Gould, Florence Gould Theater. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. right there. The Florence Gould Theater. So they're opening the doors, and um, uh, we are doing a three-part series. They've asked us to, to provide virtual content that could be um, on the stage. So it's somewhat bringing New York back to life, but safely, maybe with a limited audience. I don't think we've heard much about how that's going to go. Um, but we're doing, um, we decided to come up with a, a um, something, they wanted something very French. And there's nothing more French than uh, the idea of amour fou. And that sort of, uh, uh, a surrealistic word that means crazy love or mad love comes from a, a book by Andre Breton, French guy. So it's all about the things that your heart um, sort of yearns for and some things that you can't really name. And, and the sub, so, the sub, um, like the subhead of this um, concert is called Il parle, elle chante. Yes. He speaks, he speaks you- and she sings though. We're going to, you know, we'll make sure I don't, you know, turn into just the, you know, the girl who doesn't speak, but we know that there's I don't a little, think, we, I don't think that's going to happen, Melissa. <laughs> I'm going to get in there. Um, Melissa, 
Cindy, Helen Keller story. <laughs> like you're playing, you playing Susan in instead of uh, yeah, Sharon, Susan right? in Finian's Rainbow, my right. favorite musical. I know, and um, you did that so beautifully. I have to tell you, I had that CD in my car for like years after it came out. I just love that. Oh, that was so with the Irish rep. Yeah, I did that. I did that musical so many times. I love it. All right, I want to do a little left turn here. You're growing up, right? When did you find your voice and when did you start realizing that you had a voice that might take you places? Well, you mean a literal voice or a metaphoric? Yeah, well, well, both, both, voice. but like, like in your journey. I mean, it's, it's, I'm always um, fascinated by the process and the journey of, of creative people. And so if, if you don't mind going into the semi wayback machine. <laughs> no, I go, go back into the wayback machine. You know, I, I realized I had a voice um, when I fell in love with musicals. I was watching On Your Toes and I was a little kid. I was about 13 and I was weeping. I think I was 12, I was sixth grade. I was weeping so hard and I said to my parents, who are these people? How did they get there? So I recognized something in that musical. It was Rogers and Hart, it was jazz, it was, it was, sexy but but pure in that in that sway and then there's slaughter on 10th avenue which is the big sexy sexy dance so it's not pure um i recognize something in the artistry on that stage christine andreas's lilting voice which of course went on to do some french music even in recent years but there's something in her sound there was something in the fun of it all the tony walton of it all the the playful new yorkiness something about that night hit something with me. And what I guess to answer your question happened and, and in short, in short order was that as I learned it, I was good at it. I, I could recreate that sound like easily. Like I was like, Oh, and I, my face is sort of fat, you know, so it looks cute on stage. Like I have that, my mother's, you know, I've been told my face is a moon, less uh, affectionate critics have called it a dishpan. <laughs> but that was actually John Simon, by the way. He called me. He said, "Dishpan face, Erico." I never forgot it. And I'll tell you, he's still alive. Is he still alive? He's still alive. I don't know. Yeah, no, but kind. But darling, here's the crazy thing: is I've gotten so old that the critics are now super old, and some of them have asked me out to dinner and openly, openly on Facebook say, "I'm sorry if I ever panned you." I mean, literally. I'm not going to list these critics, but there are a lot of them are on Facebook and they just say, I'm sorry if I was ever not nice. You know, you're oh. so wonderful. Well, that's actually a really great thing to have. It's amazing to see all these critics who are so, those. yeah, right. they just, and, everyone and, drops and, everything. Yeah, you'll be able to dance on their graves. Um. You know what? I, I, I wish they'd been, not, some had been nicer to certain shows. And anyway, my, going back to my face, yeah. Yeah. in terms okay. of having, you know, like with, with Patrick, he had a natural skill. The wall taught him he had reflexes, right? And he learned to work with his, his, his hands and so on. I too, very young, my hobby came at, came at me playfully, came at me. It was fun. It was fun and I was good at it. Uh, my, I'm not necessarily the most sales oriented person. So as it became business, I'm not sure I always played the sales side of it. You know, I mean, selling I, yourself as an selling actress? Selling yourself, play, you know, auditions, you know, making the right kind of popular decision. If it's a stupid thing, I was like, I don't want to do that. It's stupid, you know. So that didn't, <laughs> most things are stupid. I should have done them. Um, no, 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 I, no, I can tell you when, when, when my uh, rep at the time called up uh, and uh, he's like, Garfield the movie, don't say no. 
you know, um, and that's like, cause I, I'm a screenwriter, right? So I'm like, I don't want to do that, but okay. You know, so I get it. It's just, you're, you're constantly faced with that Faustian deal in the entertainment industry. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times I chose to do like a, you know, a encores with Kurt Vile music, you know, when I should have been in a sitcom. Well, should have, could have, would have, could have, you know, here I am. So, um, so that, you know, so, so the, the backup question there is just, I loved it. It, it, it flowed naturally and it's not always been uh, easy, but I had a ton of fun joining the circus and I treated it like an adventure. And I, uh, I wanted to be in, uh, you know, show after show and be creative. And I, for the most part um, have been, you know, and I, I've been pretty resilient for, from disappointments and, uh, um, real hard times, you know, real meanness that I felt or lack of access to things I wanted, you know, it's not been perfectly easy. I think I said last week was uh, two years since we started this show. And, um, in our very first show, you said something about failure, about how you were more addicted. Yeah, no, I think as, as a creative person, for me, um, my addiction is, is, is with hope and failure. You know, the hope for any idea, the hope for any place I put my energy, but then the, the failure, which somehow satisfies me to get better in, you know, like the part of the process and everything and, or to get it right. Um, and without the failure, um, I think I would have gotten bored. Yeah. Well, you work in a different world because you're dealing with the blank paper or with projects that are, that are assigned to you that you do or don't want to do. In my case, my, my, my trajectory has had to be to learn to create from inside myself. And I was slow to learn that, I think. I'm, I was really trained to take uh, the phone calls and to try to please, to get the auditions, to, to, to get out there and try to um, uh, be of service. But to the, sometimes I, I could- Your I never own detriment. Wrote, yeah, I never wrote my own things and, and said, this is my style and this is what I want. This is how I look. And this, it took me, a, I, I, I was kind of um, like the good girl, you know, I was right. kind of like my, was maybe there I didn't like, get that, that. Was there a defining moment? Well, what, what I was going to oh. say is, but then you develop your voice as a writer and. Well, that's only in recent years now. I mean, now that I'm sort of on the, you know, the outskirts of the main, you know, the main, main, uh, you know, the Netflix world or the whatever Hamilton or, you know, pop, pop, pop musicals. Like, but what was the, what was your defining moment that made you start taking better care of yourself and looking out for yourself for the roles and the, and the projects and the writing? Was there a defining moment where you just went, I'm so sick of being a people Um, pleaser or. Well, it might've been when I met Adam Gopnik, to be honest. So Uh, you guys have known each other a while. Yeah, I met him about 2015. And I think I never really knew an author. And I think the idea of an author went from being a literal thing to being a metaphor. You know, everything I was experiencing, he'd say, that's funny, write it down. That's an essay. You know, you're aging in musicals and still being offered the 27-year-old role. That's interesting. And that was my first piece in the Times. So to, to start recognizing that the things that were making my life seem bumbling and frail and aging and 
and scared or like, where is that happy girl who sat there in the Virginia theater and then starred in My Fair Lady there 11 years later? What happened to that girl? And I just sat there just sort of feeling sorry for where she went. And he's like, write it down. Mm -hmm. Capture it. So that was what gave you sort of the, the courage to kind of yeah. to become more yourself. Yeah, to apply the ideas of an author to Sondheim Sublime so that I get out there and I'm doing interpretive music and I'm making a concert, but it's really a kind of essay. He even made a joke once that it's a cabaret essay. Like it's not cabaret, but it's a kind of this, this discovery of, of talking and teaching a little while I sing and sharing profound ideas when I sing. So it's not just another beautiful actress, something who's singing some show tunes, you know, on her day off or on a Friday or when she does between plays. No, that it's an invention that I could invent with the things I'm already good at and then tie them to the world of the author in my concerts. And that's definitely what I'll be doing everywhere that I'm in future, but this Fioff thing for sure. I mean, I'm literally doing Fioff with him. So the big questions of life and love and meaning and what amour fou means, like, you know, temptation and things that are forbidden, all this French philosophy. He'll be there with me and we'll talk about it together and sing all this beautiful music. But I can do that on my own too. Working with him or without him, it's in me now. So I don't know if that answers your question, but- Oh, it does. It's profound. Um, I believe my cabarets have taken on another meta, you know, for me, not, I think for the audiences too. So this show with Adam Gopnik is October 14th, Tuesday, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and people can get tickets where? On their website, fiaf.org, F-I-A-F.org, okay. and it's called Love, Desire, Mystery. If you can't you know, find it, you could type in my name, Melissa Errico, Love, Desire, Mystery, that it should come up because there'll be three. Love is the first one, then there'll be Desire, and then Mystery is going to be a, f- a film noir uh, film festival as well as singing, so... Yeah. And, and then like that's Irish, the com, Irish Kama Sutra also. Right? Irish. <laughs> well, that's under everything. If you really pay close attention to me, you're going to feel, um, you're going to feel some things, you know, about dangerous joy. <laughs> you know, Melissa, we only have a few more minutes. So tell us about uh, the, the recently uh, you just did the Broadway for Biden. Uh, can you tell yeah. us about that recording? And yeah. Broadway for Biden is a, is a, uh, has been an amazing project. It's, of course, it's a committee in support of inclusivity and, and, uh, and, and um, the, you know, to get uh, Mr. Biden elected. Um, but um, uh, I was introduced to Lara Downs. Lara Downs is a, a classical pianist, a very popular classical pianist. She's a, um, a girl with a Jamaican descent and, and, uh, uh, um, and other things. And she is in San Francisco right now. And she approached me as she's been working with Yo-Yo Ma on a song and, and Judy Collins. She approached me to do a, a Broadway collaboration for Broadway for Biden. She's out there in lots of different political uh, arenas using her music and her gifts. Um, she's a real activist in music. And she asked me to revisit the composer of uh, Finian's uh, Rainbow, uh, Yip Harburg, well, the lyricist, um, and do one of Yip, Yip Harburg's great lyrics, uh, a funny song, uh, funny when politically inclined, happiness is just a thing called Joe. Oh, I know that, right, right? That's so, so great. And Yip yeah. Harburg also wrote Somewhere Over the Rainbow. 
again yes, with the is. Mervyn Leroy. We're back to my gramps. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Well, Yip yeah. Harburg is the greatest uh, of Broadway uh, classic composers to draw on right now as we're looking for uh, liberal ideas and, and uh, you know, really hum- humanitarian uh, inspiration. And Do you know who else is conscience in general? Yeah. Who else is involved with the, um, well, no, actually, let me, let me back up a bit. This recording, you obviously can't all be together. So how do you lay oh. down the tracks? Yeah, this has been the challenge. We, it, took, it took her four times to get, because she's a classical pianist and she plays in a sort of Gershwin-esque way. We got Ted Firth, who's my um, arranger, to do an arrangement for her that then she uh, played and somewhat uh, uh, went off. But mostly she played what Ted uh, arranged, a beautiful arrangement. And so she was playing this Gershwin-esque thing really loud and there'd be no room for singing. So then the second take, she did it really slow and then the third was too fast. So we had to get on Zoom and just feel each other a little. And then we did that. And after a while, we ended up telling our secrets to each other a little bit about our lives, just secrets. And we, she called it secrets. It's like we're little girls. What's connections? Yeah, we just started sharing. Tell us one of your secrets? No, no. <laughs> but it's embedded in the music now because then she sent me this beautiful track. And she wrote me a text. All we needed to do was share some secrets. So it's beautiful, it though, also, because that, that is like connection and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, humanity. All of that is what we need so trust. much right now. Yeah. Trust, trust and, yeah, and, and openness to each other as people. And, and so, so she sent me this beautiful track. And then um, uh, the challenge in doing it uh, is and was how, when you're, when you're uh, if you want to make a video, uh, you you can then take her track, put it in GarageBand, you can record it. But if you want to make a video, then you'd have to make the vocal and piano track, mix it, have your final audio, and then play it on a different day and lip sync to it to make a video. Or you really work, like I'm working right now, like leaning into a microphone and working, and film that simultaneously. And good luck looking good doing that. Right, you know. Right because with the headphones on and the microphone in your face. And so it's not easy to make pandemic art uh, where normally she and I would, would have a beautiful rehearsal or we'd show up at Joe's pub or Zankel hall. And we would do this beautiful thing at a Biden, uh, a Biden fundraiser. And we'd both be in great dresses and we just hit it (laughs) that night. But now we can't just hit it, you know, and I have this great opportunity to know her, but I have to work so hard to find her and know her. But anyway, I'm infatuated with her and I love her. So we've had a, a wonderful time. And I hope, you know, you, um, you get out there and listen to it. We'll have, you know, I hope you like it. <laughs> I'm sure. So, I'm sure. Yeah. People yeah. Will it's love. a great collab. It's, it's been great. We do and what we, we can do. We only have a couple more minutes and, you. Uh, you know, this is Sundays on the East End and I know that you're a, you're a frequent visitor to the East End. Uh, you know, do- I have a place out there right now. Oh, you I, do? I rented something little um, for the winter. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. Because so I want to maybe... write and I want to try to write a little more. And so we found a, a shack through a friend. I really, <laughs> a, really a shack. But you know what? I like it. I like my little shack. Well, I'm looking forward to maybe having a cup of coffee with you then and catching yes. up in, yes. in socially you know distant what? person. The shack has a screen porch. Oh, perfect. Isn't that great? Yeah. So I'll bring my parka in the winter and we can Fresh sit air. on the screen porch together. Yes. And, uh, you know, Melissa, it's, you're always delightful. And, and it's so nice to hear about, uh, you know, everything that you're doing, not just for yourself, but for 
the other people, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, your natural inclination is always to reach out and uh, offer a hand up. So I appreciate yeah. that very much. Well, thank you. And, and thanks for the idea of that. My, my Netflix television, you know, the, the Netflix show, you see, maybe one day this whole thing could turn out to be something, but it's been something because I've been living it. <laughs> well, we can't thank you enough. And Alex, Alex it's do, been fun. Yeah. do you have any last words for us? Yeah, I hope everybody enjoyed the listen. Um, I, I know I certainly did. Um, I, I, I feel like as, as we go forward in, in this next week, we're in October, um, you know, dance and sing and, and, and see and hear the fairies uh, that are all around us. Uh, enjoy your children if you have them. Enjoy the child inside of you, whether you have a child or not, because that gets us closer to uh, reconnecting with our humanity. And Vote, 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 vote. Uh, only vote once, but make sure everybody's voting. Let's get a proper reconciling and see where this country's really going. Everybody be well and stay well. It seemed like happiness is just a thing called Joe. He got a smile that make Delilah want to grow. He got a way that make the angels heave a sigh When they know little Joe's passing by Sometime the cabin gloomy and the table bare Soon he kissed me and it's Christmas everywhere Trouble fly away And life is easy go Does he love me good? That's all I ask to know Seem like Make the angels heave a sigh.